everybody, and welcome back to Scale with Predictable Success, where we talk with people who either on their own or with others have achieved that stage that we call predictable success. And today I'm absolutely delighted to have a good friend, a previous client of mine who I've worked with for many years, who has had perhaps the most unbelievable leadership journey of anyone we've ever had on this podcast, Francoise Portello-Manier. Welcome back. Thank you, Ernest. Great to be with you again. Francois, you were last here on the show in 2014. And at that point, you were the Dean of the University of Wisconsin at Madison. And we had a fascinating discussion about the challenges that you faced there. And we talked a lot about uh, the potency of pausing. And then three years later, uh, you pop up, not quite the right phrase, as the Dean of the London Business School. Now, with all respect to the University of Wisconsin at Madison, which is a magnificent research uh -huh. uh, university. It's a little bit, it was a little bit like discovering that one of my schoolboy soccer kids was playing for Barcelona. Tell us a little bit about the journey to London Business School. How did you arrive there? I mean, very uh, concretely is that all the credit goes to the governors of London Business School and, and probably their chairman in deciding that they were going to approach the Dean search as a proper CEO search and take the time to define for themselves what were the attributes they were looking for in their next leader. And then instead of going around the world asking people, who do you have for us? What I hear is that they went around the world asking people, do you know someone who has those attributes? And apparently a few of these people they asked said, you should talk to that French guy at Wisconsin, Francois <laughs> Talomagnier. And, and that's how I got an email uh, one day on the day of my kid's birthday. Uh, telling me, we are running the search for London Business School, would you like to talk to us? And then what was really interesting throughout the process is, is they were sticking to the mandate that they had given to themselves in terms of the attributes that they were looking for. Uh, and so, and for me, uh, I really appreciated that process being so structured uh, because it, it gave me a chance to see why is it that they are actually interested in me and what will be the expectations once I get there. And it was, I know from some discussions, we had a lengthy process. And I want to ask you a strange question. Was there any point at which you had to have a discussion with yourself about whether you actually wanted the job or not? Well, it was a lengthy uh, process, but uh, pretty early on, because they were so explicit about what they were looking for, you know, then, then me too. I mean, I was puzzled, why are you contacting me? But then, then I could see pretty early on, I could see what they saw. And at that point, it was what I tell my students often is, you know, trust the process. And, and if the process is rigorous and they did all this work exante and they think you are the person, you know, then, then maybe you can trust them if you, if you don't have enough trust in yourself. Right. And so, so, so that's what make, made it uh, easier along the way. I mean, and, and there was a lot of scrutiny and there were many rounds. And, but that, if anything, it just reinforced in me that, okay, if I keep making it through the rounds, there must be something about this job and, and I must be a good match for the job. And in the end, that's what we care about is the quality right. of the match. So it was right. very comforting to have the counterparty in that match be so serious and so structured about what they were looking for. And it's one of the rare um, occasions uh, that when I was listening to you describing the process where I came away feeling, well, that's what a hiring process should do. It should make the person who becomes the incumbent actually feel stronger 
in mm-hmm. the fit for themselves rather than going in thinking, I don't know, maybe this will work, maybe it won't. Um, give the listeners, uh, if you wouldn't mind, Francois, just some idea. Everybody will have heard of London Business School, but they'll have some monolithic notion of it. Can you share with us just some facts and statistics about that will give us some idea of the real scale of it? Sure. So, so we are an independent school. Um, we only provide graduate education in business, uh, so masters of different types for different age group from 21 to 45 year old or, or older, plus executive education. And then we also run a PhD program. Uh, in terms of students, to give you a sense of the scale, last year we graduated a bit more than 1,600 students. In executive education, uh, last year we touched a bit more, bit more than 10,000 participants in our programs. Uh, something that is uh, maybe more unusual compared to American school is our international diversity. Uh, we don't have any country that represents more than 15% of our classes. Uh, our students, when they are in study groups of five students, often they will be from, they will always be from five different countries and probably very different backgrounds. So we pay a lot of attention to the diversity of our community. Uh, that's one differentiating factor. Uh, and in terms of executive education footprint, it's about a third of our revenue. So, so we do about 150 million pounds a year. 100 million pounds basically from a degree education and 50 from execute is a bit more from philanthropy from the government and our execute footprint is also global so we have clients all over the world some who come back year after year after year for trainings of their executives for example and then sometimes more pointed interventions for example right now we have quite a few clients who are coming to us to help them with the development of their women leaders uh, but we also have clients who come to us for the development of their finance executives. Uh, and that, that is really a global operation. Right. And if you'll forgive the crassness of the question, Francois, uh, and the, you know, sort of the blunt measurement of it, uh, where does LBS typically uh, feature in the uh, various rankings of, school, of schools worldwide? So it, it's in the top tier of global business schools. So different ranking, different perspectives. But uh, what I see in terms of uh, where do we win in terms of attracting students and uh, attracting uh, custom clients or corporate clients, it's against the very best business schools in the world. We are, however, within that set, we are the business school that is uh, the, the best destinations for people who are looking for a truly internationally diverse community. And also people who are not necessarily looking for a boot camp, but rather people who have uh, an affinity, at least to uh, rigor in the training, but also people who are open and curious to be inspired to different perspectives on themselves and on the world. And that is true to, for students, it's also true for corporations. Yeah, I mean, of course, we, we can deliver the boot camp, but, but our sweet spot is with people who come in ready to be, to be inspired to different mm. perspectives. And the diversity of the classes we assemble is a big contributor to this, together with the, the strength of our uh, faculty. And to give you a sense of size, we have about uh, 105 research faculty members. We have a core core of practitioners, so about another 50. And then we have a lot of contributors. Being in London, it's actually easy for us to get outstanding executives uh, to come and participate in our teaching mission. And that contrast that you just made about being in London, being able to attract talent and so mm-hmm. forth, um, just leads me to, to ask you just to reflect a little bit on, uh, just tell us a little bit about what the role of Dean 
is and how that contrasts with your previous role as Dean in University of Wisconsin of Wales. So the, the current role is very easy to explain because we are a school on our own. So, so in terms of corporate terms, it, I'm the chief executive officer of the organization and I report to a board of governors. And the, the previous role, I mean, I was the leader of the business school within the University of Wisconsin-Madison and as such, I had about 15 peers where all the deans and then together we reported to a provost and then there was a whole machinery around the provost and the chancellor's office to support us uh, in our operations, to support us with a whole number of activities that, uh, that we were involved in. For example, there was a dean of students who helped with the management of our students. And so here it's actually a very different position because, because there's no one around us. Uh, we are an independent school and, and I'm the CEO. Right. And uh, as a CEO, newly arrived, August 2017, mm -hmm. like just the most open question in the world, what did you do? You know, where do you start? Did you just pause? So, so the, first, the first thing I did is, the first thing I did is, the, I mean, again, credit to the, the Board of Governors. They ran a search very early. And so I had uh, many months of transition. Uh, into the position. And actually, the governors invested in that transition. It was uh, supported by the same search firm that did the, the search. And uh, my predecessor and I started working together and I started working with my direct reports, my future direct reports during the transition. So, uh, so actually, and I arrived then a month before becoming dean. So I was, we called it Dean Incognito uh, for a month. And then, so by the time August 1st came in, um, I remember my predecessor on that day only had three files left to give to me and they were very thin uh, files and a part of what's happened in the transition is we both decided that we would let our direct reports manage how to transition between him and me but August 1st I was the dean and, and, and we just trusted them to decide when to ask him, when to ask me and, and only exceptionally when to ask the two of us. And that worked uh, really well. So I recommend that in terms of uh, transition. And then, of course, then once I became, when I came out of incognito, the first thing we did was to organize for me to listen and engage with the community so, so I could learn more about who we are, uh, those of us who are based in London. We also have a location in uh, Dubai. Uh, and then going around the world, meeting our alumni uh, community and asking them about their ambitions, their aspirations for the school. I love that notion of being Dean Incognito, CEO Incognito. <laughs> and uh, for those of our listeners who remember our previous call, or those of you who uh, would like to uh, go listen to it, it'll be linked to on this page. Um, I have to say, uh, Francois, if you ever want a side gig, I think helping other people plan transitions is one of your secret skills because we talked at length about your transition uh, previously and both of them. You've managed remarkably well. Once you've got your feet under the table, as they say, share with us what the big moving parts are in terms of the challenge that you face, the opportunities that you face. You know, if you had to pick two to three things and say, this is what has defined my, my early years, what would they be? So, I mean, it, it really was about engaging the community to understand what is that collective ambition. Yeah, and at the same time, making sure that these uh, questions, these conversations are taking place within the fast changing context of uh, uh, degree and executive education. Remember, we are big players on, on both markets. And so what, what I'll say that, that we landed on and that I mean, I don't know if we landed on or that I helped articulate 
uh, is the imperative for us and the interest and opportunity for us to really build on a strong history of excellence in, in interactions with students, with corporate clients, to really uh, thread them all together so that, that we don't just give one-off outstanding experiences, but really walk the journey. So walk the journey with our students. What does that mean concretely? It means that we think about every degree interaction as an onboarding into a lifelong collaboration within our alumni or a lifelong engagement within our alumni community. Uh, walking the journey with the corporate client, we actually want some distinction from this. It's about our ability to sit down with the chief planning officers and the executive of a corporate client to really understand where are they on their journey and how is it that we can be partner with them offering different solutions, sometimes creating the solution, sometimes delivering it. And so that, that, that's where we see the real opportunity for us is moving from outstanding one-off interactions and being more explicit in accompanying the journey on the B2C market, that's students to alumni, and then on the corporate market, that's about different organizations being different parts of their own journey and can we be there for them. And in terms of addressing that, where did you feel most, do you feel most personally stretched? Where do you feel, you know, that in your own leadership, you've really got to, to work it out, grind it out? What, what's being drawn from you as a leader in order to provide solutions? Uh, is to not be the one who provides the solutions, uh, is to actually be the one who helps uh, shepherd the community. But, you know, when the sheep know where they're going, you shepherd from behind. Uh, and it, it's about really creating the environment for people to blossom with just enough guidance, but not, but not, that, but not too much, so that the creativity and the excellence that we have in our community uh, can emerge. So what I've had to work on is, is help with simplicity, with uh, focus, and that has been, uh, um, if you talk to my colleagues, I'll tell you a lot of work for me to, 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 have the, to, give, to help give people the right perspective so that our energies uh, complement one another and we are pulling together towards a shared objective. Uh, so I would say, yeah, my role has been to maybe in a way stretch our ambitions, uh, with our community, but then, and then with those stretch ambitions, provide just enough guidance, not too much, but just enough to unleash the whole potential of our community. And it, I want to talk in a, a moment or two, somewhat unavoidable in 2020 to have a discussion and not talk about the unique impact of the COVID crisis. And we'll talk about that in a, in a moment or two, but just setting that aside for a second, because it's had such a distorting effect, um, what are the main uh, elements in a week, a month for you in managing the London Business School? Is it a much, I know the reason I'm saying setting COVID aside for a moment or two, I'm quite sure like all of us, there's been a whole bunch of distortion has happened to that. Yes. But as best we can imagine what normality uh -huh. was like, what, you know, was it a lot of travel? Is it a lot of meetings? Is it paperwork? Mm -hmm. Is it face-to-face -face stuff? Just give us a sense of your... Uh -huh your day, your week, your month as Dean? Uh, so the, I think probably the month is, uh, is the right place to start. And um, you know, if, if you are a Dean in the US, the rule is 40% of your time fundraising. Mm -hmm. and, and here being at LBS, 
I mean, we have a very strong and high-performing executive education platform. And so, so I do travel at least as much, if not more. And because of our global footprint is travel all around the world, I used to. And that was certainly uh, for fundraising, but also a lot of time connecting with executives and uh, you know, supporting our uh, corporate relationships. Also engaging with the relevant uh, governments to our operations. And so, yes, it was travel, but more than just meeting the alumni, it, of course, meeting alumni, but corporate clients uh, and relevant governments, regulators. And then uh, with regard to the school, my, my role is more to, to, again, guide the energy of a leadership team. Uh, I have a very strong team uh, with me here in the leadership of the school. You know, we are in the London market. There are some outstanding professionals who enjoy at some point in their career shifting from corporate work into a, a work like a school like ours. We also have uh, people who have blossomed within our school and, and climbed up the ranks. And so then my role is again to stretch the ambition, uh, connect the, the unexpected dots, make sure that we are focused together. And so it, it's really to shepherd the community inside and, and not get in the way. You know, it, it, we are, we really, the objective for us and when we do the best is, is when we create a platform for, for example, students and faculty to interact or executive education and faculty to interact and then let the magic happen there. We, we don't have to be prescriptive. Uh, and also very important within this platform, protect the time of our faculty so they can engage in the curious wanderings at the frontier of science that will uncover the insight that we will need 10 years from now and now we have no idea what it's helpful. But that, that's also is, is important. So, so when I'm in town, what I'm uh, working on is facilitating uh, such an efficient platform uh, for, for that uh, faculty and uh, students participant to interact. And one thing that's really wonderful at LBS is that uh, the um, uh, staff, besides being so dedicated and, and hard performers in the school, they're actually really keen to be also part of the learning journey. Right. So, so we are really that learning community where everyone is here because they enjoy learning together. And that's one of the, the behaviors we try to reinforce of learning continuously uh, uh, from one another through our interaction, through our teaching and through the research of our faculty. And you just used the phrase as one of the reasons everyone is here. And of course, that's become, you know, it's become to mean something different in the last period of time. Um, again, just as straightforward, a question is, I can put it, tell us LBS's COVID journey. When did you realize this is a thing? And mm -hmm. what, did, what did you do? And what has happened since March? So we realized first in our Dubai campus, March 4th. It's when we were told that we had to stop face to face. And it was like nine, 10 days later in, uh, in uh, London. And so, you know, credit to my colleagues, uh, we just instantaneously shift, shifted to online uh, delivery. Uh, you know, we had to, we finished uh, the term, and then we got going to the next term. Uh, so, so, so what happened is, as soon as this hit us, um, I, I told the school and with the leadership team, there were only three things that mattered, and the number one was the well-being of our community. That's all of us, you know, students, staff, faculty. Number two was the academic progression of our students. And number three was just the basic uh, business continuity. 
Uh, and that's all we did. We just focused, we created a task force to focus on that, added a group to, to really think out about how we communicate everything that uh, we are doing. And, uh, you know, task force that were cross-disciplinary and then we kept going. And uh, on July 10th, as planned, we graduated all the students who are due to graduate. Uh, and and uh, it was totally exhausting, uh, but at the same time, so meaningful. Um, you know, it was pretty simple in a sense to focus on that and just keep things under control and get the students to graduation. Uh, and so then what's happened um, sometime in the later part of the spring, you know, after the first firestorm, uh, colleagues started working together. So faculty, staff, students to imagine how is it we were going to continue into the summer and into the autumn. And so then they decided to go with a more, uh, actually a pretty complex way of doing a hybrid, but we thought it was very important that our students continue to be able to mix with one another, independent of whether they're in the classroom or on Zoom, because the diversity and the quality of your classmates is so fundamental to our value proposition, right? And so my colleagues worked really hard to come up with a technology to implement a hybrid system that is fully integrated. And so we started the programs on time in August, but September 21st, we opened up uh, the face-to-face. -face. And it's now our 10th week in London. It's our third week in Dubai. Uh, and uh, we're going strong. So, so my hat to my colleagues and all the hard work that they put together. And uh, how about the leadership aspect of all of that, Francois? Uh, many of us um, found ourselves floundering a little bit in the... Um, I, my sense was that for most of us, the March, early April period was too frenetic to really get too concerned about anything other than doing the immediate mm -hmm. uh, dirty fingernail work of plugging holes yeah. and gaps. But then as things uh, we, we began to realize this was going to be more of a long-term issue, um, my sense was that for a lot of us around about April and May, the lack of that ability to just get together and, and, and get things talked about in a way that was less Zoom-like, you know. Um, we didn't have that sort of curiosity type of discussion. We were coming on and doing punch list stuff. Yeah. As leaders, did you, did you find you were missing any of that? So we are definitely missing so many dimensions of these uh, physical interactions. And so remember the number one priority is well-being. Right. Right. And so we have people who think about that uh, for us and, and with us, you know, and then it's a credit to the, to the, the quality of the people we have here and, uh, you know, how much we care about delivering for our students. I mean, initially it wasn't students because the executive market pretty much shut down when Heathrow shut down. It, it's over now. Now we're doing quite a bit more in actually in executive online and we've learned interesting things. Maybe we can talk about that. But I would say is, you know, people have done their best and it is exhausting. Maybe one thing that helped us um, uh, with that um, is our, the Student Association president last year. You know, I, at this time around April or May, and yes, it was difficult. And she came out with a simple message and she kept repeating it, which was to bring kindness into our interactions. Mm. Mm. And, you know, I'm so grateful because we were, you know, we had these three priorities, you know, well-being, academic progress, business continuity. Actually, as it happened a few days uh, later, I realized we were becoming too number focused. So we mm. talked as a team that we also have to remember to be human. Right. Right? Because it was so easy in the heat of no one to just focus on the numbers. 
Right. They said, no, no, we, let's be human. And then, and then on the back of that, her message about let's, let's bring kindness into the conversation. Right. And, and that's something I've heard all the leaders in the school, they're referring to it. Uh, and for us, it was particularly powerful because it came from uh, the students. Right. Uh, and I, I would think this has helped us along the way. It's a, a wonderful point. And it, it, as, at the time you and I are recording this, Francois, we've just had a few weeks of great news on the vaccine front and we've got great hopes. Obviously, that maybe by Easter, uh, we'll be moving back towards some degree of normality, whatever that might come to mean. Are you seeing things that you've changed in response to COVID that you think are irrevocable, that you're thinking, actually, I don't think we'll go back to the previous way of doing that. We'll stick with this. It's, it's worked well for us. Or do you see a, you know, pivoting back to essentially the, the way you were delivering uh, beforehand? So there are definitely things that we've learned from the technology. We haven't necessarily have at the time yet, well, not in the position yet, to think about how we integrate these uh, learnings. But for example, uh, we've learned that through online technology, we can do really high premium uh, uh, teaching. Actually, I wonder whether Zoom uh, was purposeful about that or realized whether that they stumbled into exactly the right level of technology sophistication for allow brilliant, to allow brilliant faculty to shine. Right. The platform, you know, we, I mean, I know some other schools that have some more sophisticated platform, but Zoom is just where it needs to be for right. brilliant faculty to shine. And, and, and it has opened opportunities for them to interact with the students in a different way, for students to interact with one another in different ways. So, so definitely something to be learned that we realize online is not just a MOOCs with 100,000 people. Online right. can be really high touch and really convenient. So that, that's one thing. There's another thing is, remember, we have a global footprint. So, so we have alumni, clients, prospective students all over the world. And we've learned that uh, with Zoom, we can actually engage people in an in a, in a easier way. And uh, I want to say much more engaging, actually. So that also is, is uh, you know, we have had really interesting events with our alumni uh, following the sun around the world about a 15 hour period. We have had really interesting events with some of the more senior alums, bringing them together. So for example, it's really easy from, from where I am right now to gather all our more senior alumni in uh, Hong Kong, China, or in the Middle East. No one has to fly, we can get together. And we realize that this is really delightful, uh, actually. And then there's another one that, that we'll have to think about is with regard to engaging different types of learners. And for example, one of our top corporate clients was telling us that it's the first time the more introverted members of his staff have engaged so much with executive training. And so what do we do with that? No, and it's really, you know, it's 40% of people are introverted. And for the first time, now that we're delivering the learning online with them, right. they are engaging. And so there's going to be innovation that we have a client who used to send us uh, executives five days uh, over a week every year. He's done that for many years. Uh, and now we've redesigned the program to be over eight weeks. And so much more, mm. but still what I talked about earlier, a journey, not just that. Yeah. And experience right you know some of these things are going to stay because they're going to realize that actually the mode of delivery works better the way they engage uh, work better so so that's the kind of thing we've learned we can do high touch premium learning 
we can reach people around the world much more easily. And then it seems to land differently with different types of learners. And so definitely we will gain from that. That's why, you know, the way I think about the pandemic is that it had speeded up progress. It doesn't really bend our trajectory, but it, it's allowed to Accelerate. experiment and discover faster. Right, right. I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I'm also, I'm with you. I'm intrigued at the fact that Zoom just seemed to be at the right point, perfect point of yeah. development for what we all need. It wasn't overcomplicated, but it wasn't too basic either, which is wonderful. Um, finally, Francois, you're one of the most incisive leadership thinkers that I know, and you're always noodling on not just from a self-improvement point of view, but you know, just in terms of helping other people be great leaders. Tell us about your own thoughts over the last year or so. What have you been you know, particularly reflective of in terms of being a, a helpful leader in this time? I mean, the first thing is I need to send you some uh, of the writings of uh, our faculty here at London Business School. So we have some true <laughs> scholars of leadership yes, and, and, I, and I will do that. But uh, let's, so let's talk about from my, from my own uh, uh, perspective. Um, I mean, there's, there's something actually going back to something you talk about in your writings about, you know, the using the American expression that the synergist is the one who can go up to the balcony and observe right. what's going on and help teams because, you know, it's true with a CEO. As a CEO, you have a much bigger, much broader perspective than anyone else just by the... The, the, the nature of your function. And, and one thing that I'm trying to work on is the fact that then when you come down from the balcony, it's actually not worth explaining what you saw from there. You were alone there. <laughs> right. and no one else saw the whole thing. So why confuse everyone with, no, no, it's, you, got, you got to figure out where are people, what is their information set, and what is it that they need to know? That, I mean, an example I've used is something, again, from you, when you talk about how the visionary can skip from one mountaintop to another mountaintop. Right. And the operator is the one who follows the ridge, and the processor takes the bus down the road. <laughs> so an example is, you know, there is no point to tell the bus driver, I need you to go left and right and left and right. Just right. say, follow the road. Right. right. Let the road take right. you. You don't have to explain. This is a mountain with a right. So I think there's, there's something there about, about I, have, I have a, one of our governors phrased it that as a leader at the top, you see the 3D picture, but think about people in the organization, they, they see only 2D. And right. so if you keep describing 2D from different point of views, they don't realize you're talking about the same house all the time. Right. So there's that element that, you know, I really thought, you know, given what I learned from you, from Synergy's perspective, there's something about knowing how to communicate. What is the information people need to be uh, effective and fulfilled uh, in their job to unleash the, their energy? Uh, so that, yeah, that's, that's you were, something I worry about. You were sharing with me just before we um, uh, started the interview um, about prodding folks with a what else uh -huh. And getting them, getting them to double down on what they're thinking. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd love for you to share that with the listeners as well. I thought it was a brilliant insight. Um, sure. So then, then, then. I mean, I know in in your book, sometimes you ask people to pause reading. So, so maybe on your podcast, you can have a bit of silence, um, because because let, let's just have our readers, our listener, experience it with us. It, it's a question I ask. So imagine, uh, you know, like a, a speech welcoming students. Uh, allow me to ask to our, to our listeners, if you project yourselves uh, five years from now, 
given everything you're doing right now, what would be success for you? Simple question. Maybe people can take a few seconds to answer in their head. And so then what I wonder, having answered this question, what if you set, it as, set the answer aside and ask yourself, what is success squared? The bigger, the bolder version. And what I've, what I've found is that if you take another 15, 20 seconds, most people do come up with a second answer. And then what was interesting is that I didn't tell anyone I was going to ask again. And yet, there was another answer hiding behind the first one. And, and, and to me, that's connected to, to what else, that all of us as human beings, I mean, that's what Michael argues, there is a what else answer. And, and it's part of our uh, jobs as leaders, particularly if our job is to unleash the potential of our community, is to help our community realize that there are such squared objectives. You know, and, and as an educational institution, as I mentioned earlier, we want to be a place where people show up with openness and curiosity inspired to a different perspective on themselves and the world. I want them to come out with a squared objective. Now, now I know sometimes when I do this exercise, people tell me, you don't realize, Francois, my squared is so crazy. But my answer is, wouldn't you want to actually know what it is? So you never do anything that preclude the possibility of your squared happening. Right, absolutely. And most time when I answer people realize that, wait a minute, there are actually a few things I could do now to increase, to in increase the probability. And to me, this connects for something you talk about when you advise people, if you don't have a purpose, rent one, is that if you are purposeful, you're more likely, and there's research on this, you're more likely to notice the signs of life, the congruence and the serendipity that supports that purpose of yours and the squared objective. There's another thing, which is, you know, uh, of sometimes students will tell me, well, what about 10x y square? And it, there is a big difference. It's, 10x is a kink. Sorry for the math, but but 10x is about, you know. And squaring, square, if you remember geometry, it starts a line at zero and then it slowly increases, right? And I think there's something very important about that uh, as well in thinking about it, how do you square your success? I'm not saying what's a big jump, I'm saying what is it that's out there that could give a bit of a sense of direction, at least uh, to, again, to go back to something you talk about, it might at least impact how you curate the information that, that you want to receive. Yeah. I, it was just fascinating uh, to link uh, what you've just shared, uh, Francois. I want to give a shout out to one of my fellow do lectures and do authors, Rob Poynton. Um, he's a professor at one of your upstart tiny competitors, the Side Business School at Oxford. Um, and he, his re most recent do book is Do Pause. And that's oh. precisely what he's saying, is pausing is not an act of emptiness. In fact, the right sort of pause will fill everything that comes out of it. And you've just uh, enunciated that so perfectly. Well, Francois, your career to date is an example of someone who has... 10x and got the momentum that you've just shared with us and uh, it's just wonderful to hear how your last couple of years have gone since you were last here who knows what you'll come back and tell us in three or four years from now francois but for now Glad you're not asking me <laughs> <laughs>
we will find out. Francois, thank you again. Thank you, Alex. A pleasure. Thank you.